We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. I'm just kidding. We're uh, we're jumping into a, a new series. It's kind of a mini series because it's only gonna last three weeks, and it's on a, a subject matter that, um, in a lot of cases, the church doesn't really get into and deal with uh, because the world tells us to stay out of it. Um, but there's a lot in God's Word, and there's a lot that God's Word has to say specifically when it comes to the things of the mind. Uh, we have an idea in our society that uh, we are not in control of those kind of things, and the Bible has something else to say about that. And so in, in this series that's just called Mastermind, uh, we're going to look at three things, and, and I'm going to kind of lay this blueprint out for you uh, today so you'll kind of get a, a backdrop, and then we're going to talk very briefly about a particular area and then we're going to jump into some practical things start next week so you're going to have to come back to get the latter part of this message but uh so we're going to look at today um what it means to identify strongholds because if if we're honest about our situations there's not a single factor that takes place in society today that doesn't start in somebody's head so all the ideas that we see, all of the mass chaos we see, all of the good things that come out in our world, it starts in the mind that then fluctuates to the heart and then is acted upon. And so if that's true, then God's Word has a lot to say about when things go wrong. Because when things go wrong, it's got to have started somewhere. And I'm just here to show you a few things this morning about identifying strongholds when it comes to mastering our minds. This is not, uh, I'm going to put a disclaimer, this is not a name it and claim it type message, okay? This is not one of those that, I know it says change your thinking, change your life, but it's not one of those that if we'll just change our minds about some things, everything will be peachy. It's not about that. It is about us today identifying strongholds. Next week we're going to talk about practicing spiritual disciplines that keep the strongholds out. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like to experience God's peace because we've identified, we've begun practicing, now we can experience. Everybody wants to skip to experiencing peace, but they don't want to put in the legwork. And so God's Word says something very clear. This, this message series for us just kind of came out of a... Some personal study in Lamentations. If you're not familiar with the book of Lamentations, um, it's uh, uh, it, it's kind of a downer. Um, if you want to be honest, it's a lot of, I don't want to say complaining, but I mean the very title is a lament. It's it's groaning. It's sadness. It's, uh, it's a lot of crying. I mean, if you really get into the emotion of what's being written and seeing the destruction that Jerusalem has gone through and why this has been written, uh, you would kind of understand. And so with us, we spend a lot of time in our own head griping at people, complaining about things, thinking that life could be better but never really do anything to change it. And so Lamentations was just a beautiful place for me mentally to be, but I found something very awesome in this passage and the, the passage that, uh, that we're launching this from and we'll talk about over the next three weeks is Lamentations 3, 19 through 22. Right in the middle of all of this harping on the destruction, the writer of Lamentations says, I remember my afflictions and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. Gall is just something that's bitter. It's like putting some poison in your mouth. You, you, know, you don't like it when you taste it. It says, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, I love this, 
Yet this I call to mind. Like I had to fight to put this in my head. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. In the middle of all of the complaining, there's that one word that just kind of stops and turns everything. Yet. Life looks like hell right now. Yet. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to call this to mind. That the Lord's great love is not going to allow me to be consumed. Because His passions and compassions never fail. It's beautiful to see that in the middle of complaining because a lot of times if we're really honest, we never stop. We just keep complaining. We, we never stop to identify that maybe what we're going through, it is a little bit partially our control. That if we would just stop thinking on the issue and start thinking on the God that can rescue us from the issue, maybe the situation would be a little bit different. Maybe we could handle things a little bit better. Maybe we wouldn't have the anger issues that we experience so often. Maybe we wouldn't have th that word that's such a hot word in our society, depression, running rampant everywhere because we don't want to have it checked. And God's Word says there's a place to check it. And, and I'm just, I, I was burdened with this over these last several weeks and in honesty, this message series, I, like we put this together back in October of last year. So it was almost a year ago. And then in the midst of some of the things that we've been through as a church and as individuals and the conversation we had, like God planted it right here for a purpose. And so I think that some of us are not able to do some things in our life because we can't get past our own thinking. And that's what the heart of this is. We stay in the hurt. We stay consumed by the, the mentality that we can't change it, so it's not going to change. And God says, I can change it. God says, I will, but this is what we got to start with. you got to identify what's plaguing your mind first. I, I wrote this down, and, and I just want to put this out there. Some of us can't take the next step of faith simply because we get trapped in the mental rehashing of our past issues, current struggles, and worrying about the future unknown. Like there's a, there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future to every bit of it. And some of us, we stop worrying about the past, and then we look at what's right in front of us, and we start struggling with it. And then we, when we get past that, we look and go, I don't know the future. If you were here for our 5 for 5, that was one of the things that Mr. Warren Malone touched on. He talked about looking back, not to remember the issues that we faced, but to remember the God that's rescued us from them. To stand in our present circumstance and not worry about the future because it's not ours to worry about. It's in God's hands and we worry and focus and, and pay attention to the promises of God. And so there's this whole, uh, whole ideology of navigating life that man, we can't control what pops in our head. I can agree with that to a certain extent because if you're like me, you'll be walking around randomly and you've got some of the craziest things that pop in your head. You ever had that happen? It, it happens all the time. Now, what I'm, I'm not saying that you can control every single thing that pops in your head, but you can, you can control how much you entertain it because you have things that come up and you start thinking about situations and it just makes you mad. And the more you think about it, the more you justify and you have that imaginary argument. You do that. Come on, y'all tell me I'm not the only one that does that. Because I feel lonely if I am the only one that does that. 
You have that imaginary argument. You may not look at yourself in the mirror, but you're walking around the house just steaming mad at somebody, and they're not there. <laughs> and you're doing—I mean, I, you know it. You do it. I do it. And, and I started to realize some things as as Brandy and I felt the Lord call us to plant a church. And I started looking at some of the things that I allowed to influence my mentality. And as a as a guy growing up, '90s rock music was my thing. I know some of you are big '70s fans, and. Some of you may be 80s fans, but I was a 90s rock guy. If you're not familiar with 90s rock, you probably don't know who I'm talking about if I named any bands. Korn, Rob Zombie. I, I could go on some more. Some of you know who I'm talking about, and y'all are all going, what? You were influenced by corn? Not the corn you eat. The Spell with a K and a backwards R. But I started to realize that like, as we got into this process, that kind of music was influencing my thought. And you, you, you know, and I know, and Rob spoke to this in our 5 for 5 talking about excellence, but he spoke about the musical side of things and how much of an influence there is there. And you start realizing that some of the thoughts that I have, like, they're not really original. Like, I think that way about myself because somebody else has convinced me that I'm that way about myself. And so what we want to do is, is we want to stop allowing the world to convince us that we have no control over how we think about things and start realizing that God's Word says something different. And we can see it evidenced right here because for two and a half chapters in Lamentations, it's a constant look at the destruction of Jerusalem. Our sins have caused this. Our issues, but they were not... It was still not a repentant tone in the first two chapters. It was just simply focused on the fact that our city's destroyed. That I'm never going to be able to walk back to what it was like. We're stuck in the past. What does our future hold because of the destruction? But then in the middle of Lamentations chapter 3, he says, Yet I call this to mind. I call this to mind. So this morning, I, I want to show you two things, and I want to give you three simple practices that we're going to expound upon next week. And, and this, is, this is the first thing. When we're in the midst of our afflictions and our wondering, we cannot, should not, and don't need to believe everything that we think. This is dangerous because we, have, we live in an individualistic society that believes that the individual thought is important. And there's, there's a place for that. But if you leave your individual thought unchecked, it can be very dangerous. Because there's a lot of things that the enemy tries to plant in your head. And guess what voice it sounds like? The voice of God. It's just twisted just a little bit. We've got so many people even in the church that say they're hearing from God. But then you go back and you try to check against God's word. And you can't find it there. And when you can't find it there, it's not God speaking. I've said this before, and y'all laugh at me. Whenever I hear God speaking, it's like James Earl Jones' voice. You know who James Earl Jones is, right? You know, he did the King James Version of the Bible uh, on cassette tape like years ago. And so I, I used to listen to that. So anytime I hear that voice, it's like the voice of Darth Vader without the... You know what I'm talking about? That's James Earl Jones was that voice, if you didn't know that. Well, without the, the loud, raspy breathing, I, that's the voice I hear when I hear God's Word in my head. Like most of you, when you're reading, you hear your voice, but I hear His. And so it's kind of weird. But, uh, but you can't believe everything that you think. Because here, let me show you the Scriptures. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As, as someone thinks within himself, so he is. But go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. 
So I've given you a choice to think your thoughts. I've given you a choice to, to make your decision. I've given you a choice to act upon what it is that you're thinking. But you've got to make the decision and, and got to have a little bit of discernment about you to recognize the difference between life and death. Because there is always a voice speaking to you that's either leading you to life or leading you to death. And oftentimes, it sure does sound good. And it's leading you to death. Man, I would have peace if I didn't have to deal with this. God, take it away. And the first opportunity we have to see it taken away, we jump at it and act upon it, but we never checked it. We just took our first thought and said, well, it's coming from my heart. It's coming from my head, so it's got to be okay. You know where we get that from? We get that from the world. We get that from a society that's constantly telling us that, hey, you think your thoughts, you act upon your thing, and everybody's right. That's bull. Everybody can't be right at all times. As believers, as followers of Christ, there's only one right. There's only one right. And for us, we have a place to go. We have a, a way to check. We have, a, we have a word that's already been written, and God's word never, ever fails. We just sang about it. You never fail. How in the world would I know he never fails if he hasn't, if he has, if, if he hasn't had an opportunity to fail me? How do I know he never fails if his word didn't already confirm it? We have a place to go. He says, you have the choice between life and death, between blessings and curse. He says, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. So you can keep thinking and never check it. Keep believing everything that comes into your head. Keep watching Fox News and CNN and MSN and, and go scrolling through Facebook and everything that pops up. That's got to be the truth because it's there. Or you can start putting it through a discerning heart that's been captivated by God. And listen, realize that the world's not quite as messed up as you think it is. And realize that your mind is not beyond saving. Realize that the, the thoughts that you have, God's trying to use them to pull them into a life-giving direction instead of constantly back towards death. He says, God, God says we have a choice. And I, I love the fact that, and look, this is, this is only a week's worth of study on this, but here's 12 areas of the mind that it speaks to. And I'm not gonna, these are not going to be on your screen, but, but it's never positive when it says this unless it's been captivated by God. It speaks to a confused mind in Deuteronomy, an anxious and closed mind in Job, an evil and restless mind in Ecclesiastes, rash and deluded mind in Leviticus and Isaiah, a troubled mind in 2 Kings, a depraved mind in 1 Timothy, a sinful mind in Romans 8, a dull mind in 2 Corinthians, a blinded mind in 2 Corinthians, and a corrupt mind in 2 Corinthians. So we can't just trust what we think. Because the Bible says something different about our thoughts. That even when, even when we're captivated by the Lord, the enemy is going to find a way to plague our thoughts with things that are not right. So the question is, what captivates our minds? Well, really and truly, if you're honest about it, what you spend the most time listening to, watching, and doing usually is what's captivating your mind. And I, you know, I've already mentioned the kind of music that I listen to, and I'm drawn more to Christian rock than I am to worship music. So when a lot of you're listening to Chris Tomlin on the radio, I'm like, I still not, I'm still not a fan. I'm more of a Red fan and Thousand Foot Crutch fan, and some of you are like a who? A Skillet fan. A Skillet just came out with a new album. It's a little plug for them, I guess. But I, but I'm a, I'm a fan. 
I'm a fan of, of that. And so what captivates our minds is where our hearts go. And if we're not careful, we continue to go in the wrong direction. And so I, I just want to show you just a couple things in this. It, it's, it's two areas, really. It's worldviews and it's personal attitudes. The Bible talks about both of them, worldviews and personal attitudes. And if you're not, not sure what the difference is, a worldview is things like the isms, like putting ism on anything in society, materialism, hedonism, racism, Darwinism, socialism, relativism, communism, atheism, every bit of it, the scripture says, it's simply set up, it's set up against the knowledge of God. That's what an ism is. It sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So it's intentionally placed there to divide and conquer. And so when we find ourselves being materialistic, we're struggling with what we do with our money and how we use our money and that money is our possession and we forget what God's Word says, that it ain't mine anyway. It's ours to steward. It's not ours to just go do what we want to go do with it. And some of us, we get mad when somebody starts talking about that. But it's true. Like if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, that's what His Word says. We're stewards. Hedonism. You don't know what that is. It's just, hey, pursuing your passions. Passions unbridled, the Scripture says, is not good because it will lead us into relationships that we ain't supposed to be in because God's Word's already confirmed what relationships are supposed to look like. Do things God's way, God blesses it. You don't, you're not going to be blessed. I mean, you, you just you keep going on. This, the, the idea of we all hate communism, but I mean, every, everybody knows what it is. Control. We're so scared, it's fear that we want somebody else to take care of all the things that we fear. And God says, if you trust me, I've already taken care of those things. I've already taken care of So those are the worldviews. And listen, if, if you fall under those categories, I'm going to show you a couple things in just a second that you can check and that you can, you can take a little bit of a temperature. When you get sick, you take a temperature. Sin causes us to be sick. And we've got to have something that we can take a temperature with. And if we start taking a temperature and we find out that it's there, then we've got to start taking the right medicine in order to get well. And so God's Word has a remedy for that. But the other side of it is personal attitudes. We worry. We justify worry, but we worry. We worry about our kids. We worry about everything under the sun. We worry about our jobs. We worry about the car breaking down. We worry about the, the house. We worry about this and we worry about that. And we worry, 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 worry. And we justify it because it's just who we are. We sit in a mental state of worry constantly. And God's Word says you don't have to do that. Because the spirit of fear is not the spirit that the Lord has placed within you. Now, I, listen, if you sit in that place, I'm not condemning you for that, so don't let the enemy sit in condemnation over you right now. God works with conviction so that we can trust His Word and we can trust Him and we can move forward. If we sit in condemnation, the enemy keeps us buried in our worry. He's going to constantly give you more things to worry about. And you're going to constantly sit there mentally and worry about it. It leads to resentment and insecurity. And on the other side, it's about happiness. Like we pursue happiness. Well, what does that mean? Like it's the motto of our society, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let me ask a question. What happens when your happiness trumps my happiness? It's a terrible pursuit. It's not about happiness. It's about godly joy. Happiness is an emotion. See how the enemy just twists things just a little bit? That we'll sit and we'll, we'll hey, we want to be happy. You know what? 
I can be happy doing some pretty stupid stuff. And then when I look back and realize some of the stupid stuff that I did growing up that I'm not going to share because my dad's in the room, I'm not happy about it anymore. It was, it was just a momentary thing, but joy lasts for an eternity. Seeking approval. How many personal attitudes in the room are we constantly trying to seek people's approval? How many of us are, are trying to prove over and over again that we don't need anybody's approval? You know, it's the same spirit. It's the same mentality. The same mentality that seeks approval is a mentality that does everything they can not to seek people's approval. And it's just that same spirit, that same personal attitude that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God. And it's to keep us divided in our own minds so that we can never walk in the true fullness of life that God has for us in this life. And so what do we do? Well, 2 Corinthians tells us a little bit of something that we should do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So we don't have a choice but to walk around in this broke-down, beat-up body. But those of us who have, who have made the decision to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has sealed, signed, delivered to the day that He comes back or the day He takes us home, because we've got a repentant heart, we no longer want to live in the same sin that we've been living in. We don't wage war the same way that the world wages war anymore. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we've already looked and identified some of those worldviews and some of those personal attitudes and some of the strongholds that some of us need to start dealing with. It says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is not always an argument with somebody else. Most of the time, it's an argument within our own spirits. Because we've got to deal with the inside demon before we try to help anybody else with theirs. And if we're walking around constantly offended, and we're walking around constantly on the defensive, then we've still got a stronghold that we've got to destroy. And so we have to identify what it is before we can wage war for anybody else. We like, to, we like the idea of getting saved, walking an aisle, praying with a preacher, getting dunked in the water, and thinking that everything is okay, and it's not. There are more depressed Christians walking around than there are depressed regular folk. And it should not be that way. And the answer, though I am not, don't hear what I'm not saying, the answer is not always just to medicate it. Now, I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying, because I'm not against that either. But what I'm telling you is, is that there is another alternative to this. Every argument, every lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and here's the thing, here's the personal. We take every thought captive. Now, if we take the thought captive and we just keep it and sit on it and stew on it, we haven't finished what this verse is telling us. We don't just take it captive so that we own it. We take it captive to obey Christ. That's the difference. Like we, You've probably heard people talk about taking thoughts captive, but if you leave to obey Christ out of it, then we can captivate it and we can justify anything. And here's the part that we really don't like. Being ready to punish every disobedience. This is not us punishing other people. This is us punishing in ourselves the spirit that's constantly keeping us in those same captivated thoughts. Because there are things that are setting up. Because here's, here's where it starts. Here's where it starts. It's all about sin. Period. Every depressive thought, 
Every issue that we face in society today is because sin has entered into society. It entered into society by man's choice. And when you're born into it, how many of you have kids in the room? How many of you had to teach your kids to do bad things? How many of you taught your kids to do the right thing? I've proven to you that sin is there from the very beginning. Because you don't have to teach your kids how to do bad stuff. They come like pre-programmed with it. It's like getting a computer that you want to send back because it needs to get fixed. Look, Kenny does it every day. We were sitting in the living room this morning. I'm going to tell a story on Kenny. He was sitting by Anna Claire on the couch, on the arm of the couch, and we have a lamp sitting on the table, and he was pushing on the lamp. Just enough for it to tip and kind of rock a little bit. And I looked over at him. I said, Kenny, don't put your hand on that lamp. And Kenny's gotten to where he does this little thing with his, with his tongue. And he looked. I said, Kenny, don't put your hand on that lamp again. And he looked. And he didn't touch it the same spot. He went lower. I said, there either. He reached, out, he reached down and grabbed the cord. Like, I'm not touching the lamp, I'm touching the cord. And said, if I had not crucified the flesh in that moment, I'd have slapped the flesh on him. But you, you see what I'm talking about, though. We have to constantly fight these thoughts that we constantly have that the enemy's planning and we're entertaining. And so if God's Word tells me, if God's Word tells me that there is a way for me not to do the same things that I've been doing then Lord, please show me how to do it. And so that's the second part of this. We need to learn to take them captive. I think it's the most important thing, and learning to take them captive is what I want to talk about for the rest of this message. In, in the Greek, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Greek lesson. I'm not going to attempt to say these Greek words because I do good speaking English. But there's two Greek words in the passage that I just read talking about taking every thought captive, and the word is to bring into submission. Like, it's not, it's not just a, oh, well, just don't think that anymore and it'll be okay kind of deal. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know why I sound like an old church lady. But it just came out that way. You don't have to think those thoughts anymore. It's not that. It's you've got to, you've got to work to make this thing submit to you. It's like the obedience factor with, the, with your children, the, the lamp issue. You constantly have to go back to it saying, don't do that. Don't do that. We're not thinking that. We're not doing that. Sometimes we do snap, and we may pick the lamp up and throw it. I didn't do that this morning. But we have to, we have to take that same mentality. It's to bring something into submission. And then when it says to make it obey Christ, it's a repetition. It's, not, it's, it's to bring into submission so that Christ controls it. So it's not us that takes control of the thought. It's allowing the Spirit of God to control our very thoughts. And, our, and then our actions follow that. And it comes from a place with a word that most society does not like. The word submission is that we have to submit to an authority that can take the thoughts captive. We have to be willing to put ourselves under submission to an authority that that, that can take this thing captive. And it means that I'm going to trust that what God's Word says about His ability and His way and His desire for me as an individual is going to trump what I think. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stop being this same repetitious thing over and over again. And I'm just going to say, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to submit this to you. 
I'm going to not just submit this thought. I'm going to submit myself to you. And there's a problem in our society with that because submission is not a word that any of us like. We don't like the, we don't like talking about marriage in our society because we can just we, we don't have to do that because it's about submission. But submission under God's authority is something completely different. It's not a bad thing to submit. When you submit to God's authority in your life, you get the blessing of God's blessing. And there's nobody that can bless you better than the God of the universe. And so when we make the decision to submit, James 4 tells us, submit yourselves to God. And then, here's how we're taking it captive. We've got to submit ourselves to God. Then we've got to start resisting the devil. You can't resist the devil if you're not under submission to the Lord. You can say, get away from me, devil, and he's going to laugh at you and flip you the bird and keep coming. It's just, it's just the way he works. He don't care what you say. He's scared of God, not you. So if you're not submitted to the Lord, you can't resist the devil. It says, draw near, and he'll draw near. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's the, there's the mind thing again. Now, and a lot of people leave this off, but verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Like you've got to know that you've submitted. You've got to look at your sin and look at the, the junk that you've caused in your own life and be willing to, to have that moment in Lamentations chapter 3 where you remember, you remember the sin that has been captivating your heart. You remember very clearly the things that you have done to people. You remember very clearly that thing's that, that things are separating you from God. But you don't stay fixated on them. You start fixating on Him because you're submitting to Him. It says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then He will exalt you. So He's going to flip all that stuff around. When we get to a point where we're mourning and we've, we've turned to gloom because we're no longer celebrating the sin that's caused us to be in the condition that we're in. We're no longer celebrating all the stuff that we've allowed ourselves to be influenced by. We're no longer celebrating the sin that this world glorifies over and over and over again. We're not going to submit to that anymore. We're going to humble ourselves so that the Lord can pick us back up. And when He picks us back up, then we're going to be set in the right place. It'll no longer be mourning and weeping. It'll be joy. It'll, be, it'll no longer be uh, about being wretched. It'll no longer be about our laughter is gone. It's all going to return because we humbled ourselves and submitted ourselves to the Lord. And so here's three things very quickly that we're going to talk about more extensively next week. It's very simple. You need a place, you need people, and you need a purpose. You need to have a place to think your thoughts. You need to have a place to think your thoughts. When we're dealing with mental stuff in our life, we have to have a place. I love it. I was reading this morning, and this is not in my notes because I was reading it this morning. Luke 11, 1, it says, One day, Jesus was praying. It doesn't just say in a place. It said in a certain place. Like, I've never paid attention to that. When he, Right before he showed the disciples how to pray in Luke chapter 11, it says that he was praying in a certain place place. Psalm 46 tells us we need to be still and know that He is God. Like I could go through the entire scripture and tell you how important solitude is, but I want to take you back to Lamentations chapter 3 in the latter verses of uh, 25 through 28. It says, The Lord is good to those who hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait 
quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence for the Lord has laid it on him. So here, here's that tie back after that word yet in the middle of Lamentations chapter 3. I remember the weeping. I remember the mourning. I remember the destruction, but I also remember that it was because of my sin that we're in this position that we're in. And now he says, you need to have a place. Now, here, here I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because we're going to talk about this. Uh, we don't like solitude. A lot of people don't like being alone. And then some of us are so like hermit, introvert. We love being alone. And there's like there's a balance between the two. Uh, and, and when the Bible teaches us to be alone, it doesn't mean that we seclude ourselves completely. What Jesus constantly mimicked and showed us was a place where he would spend time alone, but he never was alone with just his thoughts. He was always in prayer. He was always seeking God. And see, what we think of as being alone, some of us will plug some headphones in and we'll go back to the 90s rock music that we listen to and we'll let Jonathan Davis from Corn influence our thoughts. And the problem with that is, is that that's what you're going to continue to think. And so when we talk about having a place to think our thoughts, you need to have God's Word readily available. You need to be in constant prayer in a place of, and sometimes fasting. We don't talk about that in the church a lot. We're a church that starts the year with fasting, 21 days to start the year. Every single year we've done that. And God has done incredible things in the life of our church because we are willing to do things like that. So fasting is a part of that. The idea of solitude, and we're going to look at some of that stuff next week in more detail. The second thing is you need to have people to stretch your thoughts. Like if everybody agrees with you all the time, you, you need to check the people around you. Like there's times that some of you will come to me about something and I will intentionally disagree with you. <laughs> because you need people to stretch your thoughts. Now I will put a disclaimer on this. You need to have godly wisdom and people who are seeking the Lord that are stretching your thoughts and not just people in this world. Because people in this world are going to be drawn from the, the wrong will. And so you do need people that are seeking God's best for you while you are seeking to stretch whatever it is you're thinking. So if you're dealing with stuff in the midst of your struggle, you don't need to just have people that just say, oh baby, it's going to be okay. You need somebody. It doesn't always have to be me. Usually I am that person. You need somebody to say, no, mm -mm. You, you need to reconsider the way you're thinking about this. Do it in a loving way. But you still need people that are going to stretch your thoughts. And we'll look at that in a little bit more depth. And the third thing is you need to find a purpose to pour your thoughts into. The worst thing that we can do is to sit with our own stuff and then go share it with somebody else and then feel better about it, but never realize that God's got a purpose for everything that we deal with, whether good or bad. It may be that you've been in a struggle for a season in your life that God saw you through so that you can see somebody else through. And if we never pour a purpose on it, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. The enemy's going to bring it back up. And he's going to bring it back up. And he's going to bring it back up. Now, you may be able to withstand it, but you're going to fall back into it at some point because it's going to come back up. So you need to have a place, you need to have people, and you need to have a purpose. Romans 12 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I want to close with this passage from 2 Corinthians this morning. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those who
who are in the midst of their own troubles. So I, I know, based on what God's Word says, that you didn't go through it just so you could be destroyed by it. You went through it so that you could learn a principle from it, so that you could, you could be better equipped to minister to somebody else. And the, the worst thing that we can do as a church is to just is to just get you healed and never give you a purpose. Because that's selfish. Like everything that we do is not just for our good. It ultimately becomes for our good. It's for His glory, but it's for others' good. We seek what God wants for us so that other people can experience the same thing that we've experienced. If you've, if you've been through any kind of issues and you've come out and you can sit back and you can praise God every time it's talked about, then there's somebody in the room with you that needs the same kind of healing. And that's why it's so important. We say it here. We want people to encounter Jesus. We want you to find your place and we want you to inspire others. Encounter Jesus. Find your place. Inspire others. What does that mean? That means you need to have a foundational relationship with Christ. You need to recognize that sin has separated you from Him. You need to recognize that sin is your choice whether you want to believe that right now or not. I'm just going to encourage you. Get in His Word. See spiritually that sin is our choice. It's not thrown upon us. It's us choosing with our flesh to do things that are against, against the will of God. And until we recognize that, we can't find a place because we got nowhere to go. We'll keep going tribe to tribe to tribe. We'll keep going place to place to place to find purpose. And we can't find it because we missed Him. And then when we do find him, we've got to find a place. You need to find a place. And by place, I mean you need to connect with some people. You need to have people that agree with you, but you need to have people that will stretch you. And look, I loved it. Our men's group this, this past semester, we would get together and we would talk about all kinds of stuff. And half of us would not agree with the other half, but we would pray at the end and we would come back next week. And everybody still loved everybody. Can you believe that that's possible? It's amazing. But it's because the Spirit of God is present with God's people. So you need to find the connection that God has for you. And then when we talk about inspiring others, Miss Kayla did a beautiful job in our 5 for 5. I keep talking about our 5 for 5 folks. Discipleship. We have an idea in the church that discipleship is a program. It's not. Discipleship literally translated is influence. What influences me and what influences you is going to be used to influence others. We just better hope it's the gospel that's influencing us. Because we're creating disciples whether we want to or not. And so I want to leave you with this thought. What we think influences our beliefs, and in time, it's what we become. I promise you, without fail. And God's Word says something different about how we can handle this. We need to find a place, we need to find people, and we need to find... Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.